0: Welcome to the first episode of The Sharp End. I'm Craig Brown, Senior Multi-Asset Investment Specialist for the Rathbone Multi-Asset Funds. This podcast is designed to give you a fly-on-the-wall view of what we really talk about on the Rathbone's multi-asset desk. We don't have all the answers, but we aren't short of an opinion or three, and we're more than happy to share them. We'll be sharing our latest musings on this podcast every month, so look out for our episodes going forward. This podcast is intended for professional investors and must not be shared with a non-professional audience. Any views and opinions are those of the investment manager and coverage of any assets must be taken into context of the constitution of the fund and in no way reflect investment recommendations. Past performance should not be seen as an indication of future performance. Our usual lineup are joining me today. So I'm joined by David Coombs, head of multi asset, who uh, is licking his wounds after Wales's early exit from the Euros and is frantically now scanning Ancestry.com to find some Italian heritage. So uh, thank you, David, for joining us today, as usual. Eh, Buongiorno. <laughs> And we're joined by uh, Will McIntosh-White, uh, co-fund manager on the Rathbone multi-asset funds. Um, he is one of the most determined travellers out there. Even Boris moving Portugal to the amber list didn't deter him. Um, he got the tests, jumped through the hoops, did all the isolations, and uh, still didn't come back with a tan. So uh, welcome, Will.
1: Thank you, Craig. This is the brownest I've actually been in a long time.
0: <laughs> Can't actually tell. Um, <laughs> so um, stick around at the end as well, because we've got the Rathbone mixtape coming up. I'll explain a bit more about what that is um, later on. So just to kick things off, we thought we'd uh, shoot the elephant in the room and talk about the topic I think everyone is sick to death talking about. You can't move for talk of the I word, inflation. I think as anyone who knows us will have heard us talk about, we think it's pretty transitory, but perhaps it's time for us to poke at that thought process again and figure out, you know, are there any holes in that? So let's start, David, with thinking about maybe the Brexit impact on inflation and perhaps thinking about the labour market and impacts there. Thank you, Craig. Very well done. Very professional. Um, yeah, uh, so <laughs>
2: we are sick to death of this subject. And I think the biggest problem, what worries me mostly, is that when whenever we're in line with consensus, it always makes me feel pretty nervous. And the fact is, consensus is in line with consensus. Hardly anybody is now in the non-transitory. And whoever made that term transitory inflation anyway? I'm not even sure what it means. But anyway, everyone believes in it. And I think the fact that everyone believes in it is the biggest risk out there right now. And it's the same with anything in markets, right? Whenever whenever everyone believes something's tilted one way, that's when you get the biggest shocks and that's when you get the biggest drawdowns. So whilst I wanna not agree with the consensus. I find myself agreeing with the consensus, but I've I've gotta challenge that. And the way I wanna start with that is, as you know, Wiltshire where I'm living is not known for its Michelin star restaurants. In fact, there's only one that I'm aware of. And at the moment, having booked a lunch there recently, finally getting Mrs. Coombs out of the the village for a meal, uh, we got canceled on because they can't get any staff. And I'm not sure if they can't get any staff because there's there's just people aren't around or they can't get staff because they're not paying enough.
1: Or is it a Brexit issue? I was going to say, no one wants to talk about inflation. Um, I almost prefer talking about that than Brexit. But um, having talked about Brexit for four years, I feel like we're talking about it again because I feel like that's definitely part of the impact at the moment about finding labour. A lot of the usual sources of labour that we would have had you know pre-brexit are no longer there um and is that part of the reason that it's difficult to attract staff or is it more lots of people on furlough um and it's particularly obviously focusing on the uk at the moment um, so, so
2: that's the key right so does the uk so i can get my head around global inflation is transitory right because every government's been following pretty much the same covid policy um, low rates, fiscal stimulus biden's like throwing money around like water Europe's been doing a little bit of that They've, I mean the Europeans have even agreed on common borrowing right so I kind of get it the UK is the one that really worries me and like, we could see that the couple be- and the, and the reason is for me and, and that's why you're right brexit unfortunately is the issue because I've always been in the count where immigration, Talk about another I word that people don't like to talk about. Immigration was always likely to be the same in terms of numbers post-Brexit, despite all the rhetoric and all the nonsense that went on around, around the whole debate. Immigration was never going to go down. But the immigration has fundamentally shifted. And you don't hear it, – it's gone from geography – to skills, right? Because you've now got a minimum wage before you can you can advertise for staff outside the UK. I think it's 23 24,000, something like that. It's still relatively low and lower than many countries, but that wasn't there with free movement across the EU, of course. So it seems to me that we're not going to have that labour that's willing to settle for a lower wage. And, you know, you hear, remember the anecdotal stories, you know, eight eight people from Bulgaria living in a one bedroom flat and this sort of stuff, I mean, which was appalling. And frankly, if that was kind of an anti-Brexit story, I'm not sure it was a good one. So I actually think this is a good story for the UK. I think it means wages go up. It means you're narrowing the gap between the the low and the high. And, but what does it mean for margins?
1: Well, I agree with that. And definitely there can be a bit of a short-term hit, but if we think about inflation, I can see there's a one-off reset to get people back into the workforce, into those jobs, which historically one could argue um, maybe people here didn't want to do. Supposedly British people didn't want to do some of those jobs. And you hear about meat packing with 12-hour shifts um, you yeah, know, on your feet me, most yeah. of the day. <laughs> yeah, and so how do you get someone into that job? where well, you've got to pay more. But then once you've paid more and you've got them into the job, do they then, are they then able to command an increase next year and the next year? Because I can see the one-off reset, and I, I agree that squeezes margin, but does that create ongoing inflation?
2: I, th- I don't know. I, mean, I was reading about the, the lack of lorry drivers, HGV drivers, to give the technical ter- ter- mm-hmm. term, um, and apparently I didn't realise it's thousands of pounds. Three, I think it's like 3,000 quid to get your licence. you know that, That's a lot of money to upfront before you even start earning, right? So why is there that huge shortfall? Is it, again, Brexit? We haven't suddenly got a shortfall, right? So there's probably structural issues. So cut to the chase. What is this really about? Are we worried? Because we think about, you know, people of my age remember inflation from the 70s. I know you two are far too young for that. But that was driven by um, Labour pushing wages up Right. And until it became UK became almost, you know, um, uncompetitive and driving massive inflation. Could we be seeing, could we be seeing, because that Brexit coupled with the COVID recovery, that inflation, it may not be for a decade, but even if it's three years, is that transitory or not? And what does the bond market think of that? And what's the bond market pricing in? And I guess even if we're right. Bonds don't look very attractive. And if we're wrong, bonds don't look very attractive either.
1: my transitory is as you say, what's the different definition of transitory? Who came up with that word? I prefer pig and a snake, actually. Um, but how long does that take to pass through? Um, so it hey, doesn't really matter what term you use.
2: So I got that um, picture in my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: people's definitions of that. And I you know, this could easily be a 2 year situation as the labour market adjusts, right? It's just like a supply chain. Yeah, 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 yeah. And all the supply chain issues that we're seeing at the moment, you know, yes, some of those are causing inflationary issues, but the market will start to adjust to that and get back to a certain form of normality. But I reckon transitory means three months. Well, markets speak. Yes. Yeah. Well, if that's what the market is thinking, then I think we're in for...
2: Let's face it, the markets long term is four months, right? So it, it feels to me that with the Ten-year gilt, what did it say? Sixty-three bips,
1: a bit lower than yeah, that. I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it, I yeah. I, I can't. I think we're right to have no duration.
1: Then the other thing is, is you've got breakevens which, not that long ago, were at three and a half. So markets half telling you that you've got inflation that's going to be relatively high, and that's quite a high figure to hit actually over ten years. That's ten-year. Yeah. You know breakevens. So you're just losing money for the next
2: 10 years so basically what we're really saying is we don't know so if we don't know we don't buy bonds because obviously what's the upside
1: no we stick to our strategy of when yields rise we'll buy some more because even if inflation
2: stays below two where's the juice from bonds
1: that's pretty limited
2: it is yeah you're just not being
1: paid you're better off in cash at least it gives you optionality. And you buy the mark market down
2: 10% when the inflation guys get scared. Mm. Move on, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think we're done with inflation. <laughs> we're right. Shot the <laughs> idea. <laughs> okay, that's, that's solved. So, uh, yeah, if you were looking for answers, I've actually given you one there. Uh, so, talking about the UK, uh, moving off that dirty I word that we're all fed up talking about, um, I mean, My my local supermarket, Morrison's, been in the news quite a bit recently. Um, Should I be excited that uh, PE is going to come in and revolutionise Morrison's and make my shopping experience better? And what does this say about UK assets? I mean, are UK assets cheap and should we be expecting lots more M&A in the space now? I didn't realise Morrison's were in Essex. They are. They've they've travelled down that
1: far. We don't get weight roads, of course.
2: Okay. Um, Should you be excited by Morrison's? Well, I'm a bit of a, I, I, want, I don't want to be cynical about private equity, but okay, I'm going to be cynical about private equity. I mean, I'm sure Fortress are really keen on organic farming and driving sales to you and everybody else. But I suspect what they're really looking for is not a return on equity of between 6 to 8%, which even if Morrison's does really well. Yeah, we know private equity doesn't get out of bed for less than IIR of 25%, right? So they ain't gonna get that by just buying Morrisons and being nice. So, um, and if Apollo are bidding for it, they're definitely not gonna be doing that and sort of having farmers jamborees, right? So I would be very nervous if I was a supplier to Morrisons. I'd be very nervous if I was employed by Morrisons. And as a customer, well, you can always go to Sainsbury's, right? So I don't suppose it matters too much. But I think what's more important here is, you know, are we going to see government intervene? Because there's a lot of chat about not just Morrisons, of course, but UK PLCs, cheap bargain basement after five years of being avoided by the rest of the world, the Apollos and and all these guys coming in and and picking up assets, stripping it out, sorry, restructuring and um, generating greater returns. So I... Yeah, I'm very dubious about this. There's a huge amount of excitement to read across. I, I'm not convinced. I do think governments have had a bit of a taste of intervening the last couple of years. They're not going to lose that very quickly.
1: I mean, the supermarkets have kind of been the firing line for a long time. I mean, I can't remember how long ago it was S- Sainsbury's always came up. I think it was the Qatari Investment Authority which were looking at them. Yeah, I'm not sure anyone's ever looked at Tesco's, but presumably that's probably a bit of a big pill to swallow. But I guess in terms of government intervention, it's whether our supermarkets viewed as critical infrastructure. I guess probably are. Well, they were during the lockdown. And I was going to say mm, probably yeah. more so. Yeah, post lockdown, um, you know whether the government has concerns about private equity coming in. I mean, the concern for critical infrastructure... Do the taking- government understand it, do you think? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I think they're still trying to work out whether the, the chip maker in Newport is yeah. um, of critical importance. <laughs> I didn't even know you had such a massive semiconductor industry in Wales. Don't they? on the Rhondda Valley is only second to silicon. I think <laughs> <your time> to- <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, the government said they don't want to be anti-China just completely, which is positive because I do think we should be seen as being open to business. I mean, it's potentially a bit of a controversial area, but I think there've got to be certain questions around foreign governments or companies particularly linked to foreign governments who we haven't always been overly friendly with um, taking big stakes or taking out critical pieces of the UK infrastructure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't see BT being sold to Huawei, right?
1: No, but it nearly happened in terms of Huawei were coming in to lay down all our 5G. And there's been that backlash. So I think that backlash was the sort of line in the sand, wasn't it? Yeah. But is, is the UK even that cheap? I mean, I'm not being funny. I'm not even sure Morrison,
2: and Sainsbury is are cheap. I mean, let's get back to old. Yeah, you know, cheap doesn't mean it's good value. I was going to say a
1: definition of cheap, isn't
2: it? I mean, that, that list of, what was it 40 companies? It was it Citigroup?
1: Uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was City and, the, and what the takeover targets of the UK. Yeah.
2: I mean, it wasn't the great and the good, was it? It was the mediocre and the average.
1: Well, I'd hate to name names, but oh, Just on. Eat, <laughs> WPP, bread. Um, I mean, Whitbread's certainly not my favourites. I think hotels are an awful Challenged, show. I think. Challenged, yeah. challenged. Probably, the, um,
0: perhaps this adds to your theory that, you know, private equity aren't coming in for their, you know, mid-single-digit returns They're you get out of a not. supermarket, you know, it, it'd be folly to kind of b- believe that that's the case. I, I would recommend anyone
2: who's listening to this read a um, book I read a couple of weeks ago, sort of uh, Caesar's Palace Coup, if you want to understand about private equity's ambitions, and then also the structured finance and distressed debt hedge, hedges. It's, it's, uh, you need to get your head around some of the... Uh, um, debt market uh, jargon but it's definitely well worth a read because it's a real eye opener to what drives these guys actually and uh, would make you pretty sceptical. I think ultimately bring it back to the funds, you know we don't own any of the grocers, uh, I have no desire to own any of the grocers because we can't I don't. And I don't think in the public markets they can make decent returns on equity ironically I do think if they go private they could make some decent money um, but it's like Marks and Spencers, we've said this for years, right? It needs to go private to restructure. The public market just won't have the patience. And that, that is the, I have to say, that is the biggest, I guess, advantage that private equity has is they have the better time and they're not constantly having to report to the sell side and keep people happy with dividends, et cetera.
0: I think taking a sort of little sidestep away from grocery, but let's stay sort of thinking about retail. So while you've got private equity coming in trying to buy Morrisons, you've got companies like Gap. Closing all their stores in the UK. Obviously, good news for one of our holdings, perhaps next, who we thought might be one of the last standing on the the on on the high street. But it, is that somewhat of a conflicting message, or is that just a very specific uh, sort of situation with with, uh, with with sort of high street retail, as it were?
2: Yeah, I don't think it's just about pastel hoodies. I, I do generally think that I'm assuming Gap sells pastel. I haven't been mean, in the Gap store for donkey years, <laughs> um, which probably says it well, does it say? I'm not, not sure I was their target client, to be fair, or customer. But um, I mean, I, I was in Bath and Cheltenham recently. I mean, I mean, it really is horrendous. There's empty shops everywhere, which is why I do think Next to in a good, good place. It's really interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, if you look at Nike and Ulta, which are two other stocks that we own, you know, not only have they beaten over the last 12 months. They've beaten their 2019 pre-COVID numbers, which is just goes to show there's a lot of companies still making excuses about COVID. And actually, they're just rubbish companies. Let's be frank about it.
1: Yeah. I think, as you discussed before, the key is what, what are those businesses actually offering? And, you know, next, as you say, really good e-commerce business. They've, they've kind of got that together from some teething issues. Yeah, I don't over think these. they're global leaders, but certainly UK Na- leaders. Sorry, well, well, I'd say Nike is. Um, yeah. Definitely, in terms of how they develop their, you know, direct-to-consumer offering, which is obviously much higher margin, um, you know, where they've just stuck with their sort of flagship stores, which are almost an uh, experience, unlike yeah. yeah, which is also an, yeah. an experience store. You go in, it's all about that sort of social element. And the club membership. And a club you've membership. got club
2: membership, you've got online, you've got bricks and mortar experience. That is that is where the UK needs to go and GAP certainly isn't that. Next is not that really yet, but it's got a couple of those pillars, but it, it could do better. You know, I'm not sure just getting a Costa in the, in the store is is the is, is kind of the <laughs> ultimate experience. Maybe you've got to go back to Selfridges and start having uh, exhibitions. I don't know, but but basically... It, it's not an area, generally speaking, that I, we want to play in, is it? I mean, I, I'm much happier hold, holding Amazon. Actually, going back to the grocers, I'm sorry, just bring this full circle we move on. <laughs> we didn't mention
0: Amazon, did we? Because ultimately, they're the ones who you would have thought might have come in for Morrison's. Yeah. I, d- I don't know. I think Will and I have had a number of discussions about Amazon and around the grocery side of things. And I think they focused, spent a lot of energy on time on, you know, we're going to deliver your groceries in, in two hours. But I think there's always been that, sort of sense that I don't know if I do my weekly shopping and need it delivered in two hours. I probably plan it, do it every week. And the more off the cuff sort of two hour you know, I need this ingredient for my my dinner party tonight, not that I throw many dinner parties. I'm <laughs> an awful lot of people. Um yeah, I mean I'll just go around the corner to one of those sort of Tesco Express or, you know, Sainsbury's local and I'm not I'm not sure Amazon perhaps are focused in that right area to really make the most of that opportunity and if they're in the right place.
2: I, I don't disagree. I just, I just think that it's, it's interesting that they haven't come in. They're not seeing the value and obviously they've got Whole Foods. If you go to Whole Foods in the States, it's probably closer to a Marks and Spencer's than it is to a Morrison's, to be honest. So I don't, I'm not sure what their strategy is even, but they're not even in the game for this, which I think is quite interesting.
0: And you've got the Yecados of this world.
1: Well, as that's well. the thing. <laughs> well, I'd
2: like Push to and that wrong. was too expensive. But at, well, we got Shopify and, and I think that's the right place to be. Well at. I was gonna
1: say it's not Shopify, it's almost again almost going up that supply chain and owning businesses like Keon and John Heinrich. But we've not always agreed on next if you come round. <laughs> uh, I I can't say I've completely come round. Okay. Um, but I do I can see right I mean make COVID's just played into your hands, isn't it? Um, you know, businesses shutting down. I mean gap completely out of the market. I can see that that last man standing.
2: They've also been smart in picking up those brands online as well, third-party brands. I know Mark Spencer obviously copying by buying Jaeger.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that's yeah, quite I'm not the
2: same
0: sure. <laughs> Why is Mark Suspense always, almost getting it right and then dragging defeat? I think Will's confirmatory moment on Next was the fact that basically every team's meeting we have is interrupted by the next delivery man ringing my doorbell. So I think, you know, some on the ground live research there conducted by Will and my own household budget. Um, so moving on from uh, UK assets, a slightly more niche topic now, perhaps topical given the Euros, but we recently saw... Uh, our Portuguese friend Cristiano Ronaldo uh, moved the Coke bottles away from uh, from him on the on, on the press conference table and and suggest that everyone drinks agua. Um, you know, I mean, little did he know that Coke that uh, water bottle was probably also Coke's water bottle. But you know, is this a problem for Coke? This perhaps move away from sugary carbonated beverages is it something we should be worried about as shareholders?
1: Yeah, It's definitely a headwind long term. Um, But as we've discussed before and discussed with management when we've met them, um, I think they recognise that there's an element of headwind there and they are looking to shift their portfolio away from those carbonated beverages, um, moving into areas like water, as you say, sort of smart water, vitamin water. Um, They've got Minute Maid, which does orange juice things in the US to more alternative plant-based drinks as well, although I think that's a relatively small market for them at the moment. And then things like Innocent Smoothie and, of course, I think you mentioned Costa earlier being put into a next uh, Costa Coffee, which they took over in 2019. Yeah, I think, yeah, 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 there. yeah, it was, yeah. So I think they're making steps, you know, to shift the mix of their portfolio. Um, I mean, carbonated beverages – Still around seventy percent, so they've got fair way to go to get to that fifty percent target. Coke Zero's target.
2: been a big, which obviously is, is sugar-free. That's that's been a big one because Diet Coke really is gone pretty much in the states. It's still big over here, obviously. I mean, I, I thought it was really interesting on number levels, though, because what was he saying that um, when when, he, when Ronaldo moved those bottles? What was, what was the headline? Four billion, Four billion yeah. yeah. Which you know, yeah. that in Coke's terms, that that. That's not even like a night out for the sales team, right? <laughs> one half <off> percent down. <laughs> down. But uh, it was interesting because we we uh, we did ask uh, the head of IR about that, and a few weeks ago, actually, when um, they got into a little bit of trouble over the the Georgia election uh, fiasco in the states, and they came out on, kind of on the side of the Democrats and got a massive backlash, 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 <laughs> uh, and then they said they realised that actually. Upsetting half of the uh, population in the US was probably not great PR. And there was, when we asked them about this, and said, why on earth did you get involved? They said, very good question. Uh, take it from us. We won't be ever again because we want everyone to drink Coke. And I think, it was, you know, you're seeing all this kind of corporate language and trying to be on the right side. And some companies get away with it. Nike can possibly get away with it given its customers, it's, 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 but, but disgust, right? I still, it still makes me nervous. Mm-hmm. Coke have said, category, we got that wrong. We won't be doing that again. And it was interesting when Ronaldo did that. Their response was, "Well, it's all about opinions, and you know, it's all right for us to treat, but we do lots of other stuff as well." So, very quickly, what we what we discussed in that meeting was very apparent that he wasn't bsing us he was telling us the truth. They came out and they didn't attack Ronaldo. They were, they, they, they were very, very balanced about it. So, they, so it, I think it's a lesson for a lot of businesses. I and mean, you know, I don't want to own businesses that start getting aggressive in, in this kind of political rhetoric. I think it's incredibly dangerous. And I think Coke, have, 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 they got away with it. They, 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 you know, they've done it once. They got, they got smacked. They won't be doing it again.
1: Yeah, I think that goes back to a certain element of quality of management as well. You, know, you make that mistake, and you learn very quickly from it.
2: I mean, it was yeah, it was refreshing. They were pretty pretty honest in the meeting we had, right? You know, you know, and and, and they are clearly moving into recycle. They, they're looking at plastic capture because it's not just about using recyc- um, recycled bottles. The biggest issue is capturing the bottles that have already been used, right? And they are doing their best, and you know, I I think they're in the right place. I feel very comfortable.
1: Yeah, I think they've got they've got a long way to go, right? Particularly, they've got to capture a lot more of those bottles that they sell. You know, in the wider world, not just in the West. Yeah. Um, but to say it's it's direction that's often so important, and you know, okay, the speed at which they do it is is still key. They still need to keep hitting the milestones that they've set for themselves, um, and we need to keep an eye on that. And make which is sure just maybe think way.
2: about M and A, right? So you, you, you know that Coca sold off the bottling plants, right? So They don't want to be a bottler anymore. Um, but what if they bought Tomra? Because if you think about it, when you what Coke do is they buy the fridges. that go in the shops that you buy the Coke from, right? And that's how they get the right shelf space, et cetera, et cetera. And they and they also put the fountains into the restaurants and what well, we would call them. I'm not sure. We'd call them McDonald's a restaurant? But they do in America, <laughs> um, uh, but they do that. What if they bought Tomra's recycled machines? I can see that. Yeah, I mean
1: that would work for us.
2: It would definitely work for us. <laughs> But if you think about it, so Tomra, uh, you know, obviously, they've got the technology, but they're still such a small company and it's a fantastic and exciting story. But they have, if, if they did something with Coke,
1: can you imagine? In terms of scale, access to deeper yeah, pockets, exactly. access to distribution, you know, access to governments probably as well, just in terms of, you know, the sort of lobbying power that Coke have, which is huge. I mean, if, if Coke,
2: I mean, I must admit, we must mention the Coke, but if they bought Tomra, imagine the good press they'd get with that. Cause it would really kind of back up their, their kind of rhetoric about trying to be more responsible in the way that
0: they... They would probably only want the plastics recycling and sorting and collection elements. though. What would they do with the food sorting element? Would they need to spin that off? Would they keep hold of it and try and do something with I it? Th-
1: I think you keep it. You don't want to You don't want to send that technology out personally. But it's the, the IP, IP, isn't it? They yeah. want to protect. That's, um, that's... They could still run as a small side part of the business. I
2: mean, that's Tomra's that's value, isn't it? The IP, if mm. you think about it. There well, you go. You have to
1: mention you that next time you, I will. you dine with James Quincy.
0: <laughs> that was a live light bulb moment there from David Coombs. So uh, <laughs> oh, it's
1: dimmed quite quickly,
0: but anyway. It has so now it's time to move on to the RMAPs mix tape. So each episode, one of us is going to be tasked with coming up with a Spotify playlist that plays into the three topics we've been talking about. So it'll be three songs for each topic, nine songs total. So uh, the first man up is uh, Mr. Coombs. So uh, take it away, DJ Cymru, with your uh, with your playlist. <laughs> I don't quite know what to say after
2: that, to be honest. Um, but I thought I'd go first as you know, a bit of show, a bit of leadership. Um, so uh, first topic today was obviously inflation. Um, which I have to be honest was a bit of a challenge, um, and I, so I sort of focused a bit more around pay and wages. So first one I came up with, uh, of course, I haven't got my glasses with me, so bear with me <laughs> a second. This is this is live, right? So first of all, um, slave to the wage placebo. And by the way, I should very quickly say this in no way reflects my musical tastes if you (laughs) say so yeah (laughs) Uh, and it's quite an eclectic mix because the next one is Just Got Paid by ZZ Top which I I have listened to all these I mean that's I've suffered for this I can tell you (laughs) in some cases and and the final one is She Works Hard for the Money Donna Summer who I'd completely forgotten about classic if you say so, um, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say when I listened to it, it didn't it didn't strike me as a classic. And then of course we talked about Morrison's, and and I was going to go with Van Morrison, but I thought no, too too obvious, and also a bit depressing, frankly. Because I actually looked at his songs, I felt quite quite depressed. I didn't think it was appropriate for this this segment, <laughs> to Can be you honest.
0: Time,
2: this. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, we're at the market today. It's, it's all red. <laughs> um, so I started off sort of pretty middle of the road, supermarket flowers, Ed Sheeran. Then, uh, it'd be interesting if you heard this one, Sing, Supermarket Song, right? It's not The Muppets, it's Citizen Fish. I have to say that's worth a listen. That is that is qu- kind of meesh. odd. Very yeah. And Never then a bit, a bit more classic, just pure supermarket Iggy Pop, okay?
1: As opposed to Izzy Pop? What was the one What's you the called one? before? I- Izzy Pop? I'm sure you said something before that sounded like that. No, I don't think so. Okay. ZZ Top. ZZ Top.
0: You don't know ZZ Top. Top?
1: motorbikes, you know. The millennial.
0: So
1: am I. I'm obviously a more learned millennial, I think. Right, quiet. I'm (laughs) finished.
2: Right, finally, Coca-Cola. And actually, this was the easiest of the three. You've got Lola, the Kinks. Okay, it's not in the title, but you've got to listen to the song. Actually, there is a Coca-Cola version of that song, number two on iTunes. It is awful. Um, Things go better with Coke, the Who. Now, I might be on slightly dubious ground here, but it is a picture of Coca-Cola next to the song so i think i'm okay
1: that's getting edited
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) and last one's coca-cola by the clash so i think you'll find there's something for everybody in that yeah um i'm not sure there's any of them i actually liked but um we will be putting that out there on Spotify, I believe. I, but, well, you're, I you're meant know. to be sorting out how to
0: work it. I mean, earlier you couldn't get your ear pods connected up to the uh, laptop. So my confidence that this will be ever released into the wide world is, is slim. But we'll help you get there, David. I've never um, used Spotify, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as David has worked out how to use Spotify, that playlist will be up on Spotify. Should you wish to listen to that after this, I guess? So that leaves me to say thank you to Will and David um, for your time. And thanks very much uh, for joining us on the first episode of The Sharp End. We hope you'll join us again for the next monthly installment. You can subscribe to this podcast on all of the major podcasting platforms and some unusual ones that I've frankly never heard of before as well. Feel free to rate and review us on those podcast uh, platforms. And if you'd like to hear more about the Rathbone multi-asset funds, uh, speak to your usual Rathbone sales contact um, or visit www.rathbonefunds.com. So thanks again, and we'll see you again in a month's time. Thank
1: you. Well done.